few months ago, I was praying and just asking the Lord, what, what next steps do you have for us here at, at Grace Church? And as I prayed, the thought that came into my mind was about how hard the summers are here. And, and the fact that summers being so hard, how that can lower our expectations of, uh, of what God might do. And so as I just kept praying about that, uh, my sense was that God was calling us to uh, raise our expectations. Us here at Grace Church, he's, he's calling us to raise our expectations of what he can do this summer. And that we should take one Friday to preach about that. So I shared that with the steering team. They thought that was right, we should do that. So this morning we're going to study 1 Samuel 13 and 14. It's a very powerful passage and we're going to ask the question, what might God do this summer? What might he do in you and what might he do through you? That's the question I think God wants you to ask this morning. What might God do in you this summer? That is, what, what outpourings of his spirit, what new truths from studying God's word, what fresh power over sin, what breaking loose from lukewarmness or complacency, what might God do in your heart spiritually this summer? God wants you to ask that question. And what might God do through you this summer? What could happen in your neighborhood, people coming to faith in Christ or at your workplace? What could take place? Maybe there's a brother or a sister here at Grace Church who's feeling lonely, who's discouraged, and what could happen is you befriend them and encourage them and pray for them and study God's word with them. What could take place through that in their life and in your life? What could happen is you go back to your home country where there may be some relationships with maybe extended family members where you've never really got along very well and what could God do in that relationship this summer? Or maybe there's a a family member who you know isn't trusting Christ and has never seen the slightest bit interested, but what might God do as you pray, Lord? What, maybe I should share with them this summer. So that's what we want to ask this morning. What might God do in you and through you this morning? 1 Samuel 13 and 14. But now before we look at 1 Samuel, I want us to kind of sit back and, and get the, the big picture of what is God doing in the, in the whole Old Testament. And the reason for that is that will help us understand how important the events in 1 Samuel 13 and 14 are. So what is God doing in the Old Testament? There's lots of possible answers, but the two I want to focus on this morning is that in the Old Testament, God is promising the coming of the Messiah. He's promising the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, and he's preparing for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Let me show you some promises first. Throughout the Old Testament, God promises the coming of the Messiah. Here's three promises. Genesis 22, 18. The Messiah will be born in the line of Abraham, part of the, the offspring of Abraham, and bring salvation to all peoples, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Genesis 22, 18. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. The Messiah will be a king, born in the line of David, in the line of King David. But his kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom, will last forever. 2 Samuel 7. Then Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. The Messiah will be punished for our sins. So we can be forgiven by God for our sins and restored to God in spite of our sins. Beautiful promise of the Messiah. So those are three Examples of many promises. So in the Old Testament, God's promising the coming of the Messiah, and he's also 
preparing for the coming of the Messiah. A couple ways he does that. He gave Israel the promised land. And the promised land was where the Messiah was going to be born. It was going to be where the Messiah was going to focus his ministry. And it was going to be the springboard for the launching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So God's preparing for the Messiah by giving Israel the promised land. That's very important. God prepared for the Messiah by establishing animal sacrifices. That as people of Israel, when they would sin, they would bring a, 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 a lamb without any spot or blemish. The, the priest would hand you a knife. You'd cut, cut the lamb's throat. You'd, you'd kill the lamb. And there was a transfer of your guilt onto that lamb. You, you would have already put your hand on the lamb's head. And that picture, God wants us to have that picture. That explains what the Messiah has done on the cross. The sins of all who trust Christ are transferred onto Jesus, punished in Jesus. We are forgiven all through the Old Testament, these animal sacrifices, so that we would understand what the Messiah does. And then God had Israel build a beautiful temple, amazing temple, so that we can get some picture of the, the wonder that through faith in Christ, we, God's people, corporately become the temple of God. There's no more buildings that are called temples. We, we are the temple corporally and individually and God indwells us individually and corporally. So to help us understand that, okay, just some examples of how God prepares through the Old Testament for the coming of the Messiah. Promises his coming and prepares for his coming. But in 1 Samuel, there's a problem. The Philistines. Who are the Philistines? The Philistines are a cruel and wicked and bloodthirsty people who have turned their backs on God and their purpose, their mission is to destroy the people of Israel and to take over the promised land. That's what the Philistines are all about. But God's people knew that God has promised to conquer the Philistines, God has promised to protect the people of Israel, and God has promised to give Israel the promised land. Here's some promises. Joshua 14, verse 9. This is to Caleb. Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. Then 1 Samuel 7, 3. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and here's this promise, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. The land will be yours forever. God will deliver you from the Philistines. Then 1 Samuel 12, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Okay, so 1 Samuel, the Philistines are a problem, but God's people have God's promises and it because the Philistines are attacking, as we will see in a moment, God's people's faith in God's promises, that faith is tested. So let's see how it was tested. What situation now does Israel face in 1 Samuel 13? I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but let me give you some highlights so that we'll get a feel of the desperate situation Israel faces in 1 Samuel 13. Chapter 13, verse 5, the Philistines are moving toward Israel with 30,000 chariots. Keep these numbers in mind. 
6,000 horsemen and troops as many as the sand on the seashore, Samuel the author tells us. Chapter 13, verse 6 through 7. How do the people of Israel respond? Are they like full of courage and boldness? No, they're terrified. Some hide in caves. Some cross the Jordan and leave the promised land to get out of harm's way. And some follow King Saul with trembling. That's what we read. This is not a pretty picture. Chapter 13, 8 through 14. Saul, Israel's king, disobeys God. And God says he's removing the kingdom from Saul, which obviously leaves lots of questions about what's going to happen to Israel. Chapter 13, 15 through 16, we read that Saul has only 600 men. Remember how many the Philistines had? Lots more. Just 600 men, and the Philistine army is just a few kilometers away. Chapter 13, 19 through 22, it gets worse. The Philistines have all the swords and spears. They've taken all the weapons away from Israel except just Jonathan, um, Saul's son, and Saul have swords and spears. Do you feel how bad this is? This is very bad, okay? If you're thinking, this is bad, you're tracking with what Samuel's saying here. And then chapter 13, 23, a garrison of the Philistines is heading towards Saul. That's where we end up at the end of chapter 13. So do you see how Israel's faith in God's promises is being tested here? But understand, what's at stake here is not just Israel's survival. What's at stake is God's promise to send the Messiah, because if the people of Israel are destroyed, well, the Messiah was going to be born through the people of Israel. So if they're destroyed, no Messiah, no Savior, no blessing to all the earth, lost in sin, dead in sin, no salvation. Massive things, massive realities are at stake here. So what happens? Let's take a look. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. How do Saul and, and uh, Jonathan respond to this threat? And they respond very differently, as we're going to see. Look at verse 1 first. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So Jonathan knows the Philistines are coming. Come on, let's go. we got to attack, defend Israel. How about his father, Saul? What was Saul doing? Verse 2, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. An ephod is a breastplate which they could use to discern God's will at times in the Old Testament. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So get the situation here. The Philistines are in Michmash, which is up north. Saul and Jonathan are on the outside of Gibeah, which is south. And the Philistines are moving toward Gibeah, moving toward attacking Israel. But Saul, with his 600 men, does nothing. Just hangs out in the pomegranate cave. But Jonathan, with just him and his weapons carrier are going to defend Israel and go and attack. Now, to do that, they have to climb up this rocky crag. It's like there's this rocky crag that comes down to a, called a wadi, like a canyon, and then another rocky crag. The Philistines are up here, and, and Saul and Jonathan are here. So Jonathan, they've got to climb down, they've got to climb up, but that doesn't stop them. But here's the description of the, the terrain, verse 4. Within the passes, 
by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison. There was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bazes, the name of the other Sena. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. So got to climb rocky crags, but that didn't stop Jonathan and his bodyguard. Jonathan was going to attack the Philistines and defend Israel. Now that raises another question. How can Jonathan be so bold? Remember the numbers we're dealing with here. Two versus the Philistine army, okay? And Jonathan says, let's go. How can he be so bold? Look at verse six. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. That's the way he describes the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan knows God's purpose regarding the Messiah. Jonathan knows God's promises regarding Israel. And Jonathan knows about God's power. Here's some examples of what he knows of God's power. He knows God, for example, parted the Red Sea back in Exodus 14 so that God's people could go across. And then when Pharaoh's armies were trying to come after them, God had the Red Sea close back on them. Power. Jonathan knew that God had destroyed Jericho's thick, high walls by having God's people do what? Shout. And the walls came a-tumbling down as we all learned in Sunday school, right? Joshua chapter 6. Uh, Jonathan knew that God used Gideon's 300 men to conquer all the Midianites and all the Amalekites. So Jonathan knew God's purpose. Jonathan knew God's promises. And Jonathan knew God's power, that God is not limited by how many people you have. God has infinite power. And he knows God's promise to destroy the Philistines He's promised to give the promised land to Israel. Now, if Jonathan knows all that, why did he say, it may be that the Lord will work for us? Why didn't he say, surely God will work for us? Anybody else have that question as we've been studying this passage? Why it may be? I'm not entirely sure, but here's my, my best guess. I think it's because Jonathan isn't sure exactly what God is going to do. He is simply stepping out in obedience based on what he knows of God's purposes, what he knows of God's promises, and what he knows of God's power. He is stepping out in obedience. He's not exactly sure what God's going to do, but he knows he has to obey. Let's go. We'll see what God does. That's what's happening here. Now, what happens then? Verse 7, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish, Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I'm, I mean, his armor bearer was trusting God just like Jonathan was. I'm with you. We're one. Let's do this. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come down to you, then we will stand still in our place. We will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, that is, climb up that rocky crag to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. Okay, now let me tell you 
try to tease this out. What's going on here? Jonathan's plan, we're going to show ourselves to the Philistines. Hello, we're two Israelites. Hello, we're down here. Now, then if, if the Philistines say, we're going to come down to you, stay right there, we'll come down, then we're not going to do anything, we'll just chill. Okay, but if they say, come on up, then we know. Armor, armor carrier, we know then. This is a sign. God's going to give them into our hands. Now, how did Jonathan know that that was a sign? And why is that a sign? I mean, lots of commentaries have lots of different explanations. I'm not sure, but, but here's, here's how I thought about it. So Jonathan was going to step out in obedience based on what he knew of God's purposes, God's promises, and God's power. He was going to step out in obedience. We've got to, def- we've got to defend Israel. We've got to attack the Philistines. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but all I know is we've got to do this. So he's ready to step, right? And he's not sure what's going to happen, but as he steps and starts to move ahead, God, he knows this will be a sign that God's going to do it. And, and they say, come on up. And he says, we've got them. God's got this. Let's go. So he didn't start off with any certainty of what was going to happen, but as he started to obey, God met him and gave him certainty as to what was going to happen. Do you see the point? Some of you need to hear this very clearly this morning because there's something God's put upon your heart in terms of obedience to him and you're not sure what's going to happen. And so you're like, you're, you're like waiting, okay? Waiting, waiting. And what God wants you to do is step out in faith and God will meet you as you start to obey him. Do you see that? This is so often how God works. You step out in obedience, you step out in faith, and then God will meet you. So Jonathan moved from it may be that the Lord will work for us to God's going to give them into our hands. And what, what moved from here to here was him stepping out in faith. Are you still back here? Or are you stepping out in faith with what God's calling you to do? Some of you need to hear that very clearly this morning. God is saying, I will meet you. You step out. Okay, take that to heart. That leads us into the next question. What happens as a result of, God, of Jonathan's boldness? This is amazing what happens. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. They were just full of mockery of the Hebrews, the Israelites. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So the Philistines did ask Jonathan and his armor bearer to come up, and Jonathan knew God's going to give them into our hands. So verse 13, Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. Two men against 20, and these two men, by God's power, killed those 20 in about a half acre area. And this shows that, see, God has moved in response to Jonathan stepping out in faith. God has moved in response to Jonathan's obedience, and he's now working miracles. And we see the miracles continue. The miracles just start to roll 
Verse 15, there was a panic in the camp, in the Philistines' camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Remember, the the Philistines had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and as many soldiers as the the sand on the sea. But God enables Jonathan and his armor bearer to kill 20 of them, and then God brings a panic so that all the Philistines are in an uproar. All the Philistines are panicking. And then God brought an earthquake, which made it even worse. Okay, so just, as again, it it all started back here with Jonathan just taking a step. I'm not sure what God's going to do. And then, boom, God just goes to work. That's what happens. What else does God do? Next question. Verses 16 through 23. It gets better. Verse 16, the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. So now Samuel's shifting from the vantage point of Saul and his watchmen. The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Philistines are confused and running back and forth. Verse 17, Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. He knew somebody's up there messing with the Philistines. Who's, Who's left? So they count up the people. Behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great confusion. So God had thrown the Philistines into such fear and confusion that they were fighting each other. Look at how this affects the people of Israel. Verse 21. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, so these were deserters. They had deserted Israel. They had joined the Philistines even they also turned out to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So they were freed from their fear. They rejoined the people of Israel. And what about those who'd been in hiding? Verse 22, Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So they came out of their hiding. They ran after the Philistines. And then the conclusions in verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Aven. So what's just happened? Jonathan says, it may be that the Lord will work on our behalf, and he steps out in obedience, knowing God's purposes, knowing God's promises, knowing God's power. He steps out in obedience, and God goes to work, and astonishing things happen. What would have happened if Samuel had responded to this like Saul and just sat there and focused on surviving but didn't do anything in obedience? But Jonathan did step out in obedience and God's power was unleashed and amazing things took place. Okay, so what does this mean for us? Let's apply this passage then to us as we're heading into this summer. Here's the question I think God wants wants you to ask. This summer... Am I going to be like Saul or like Jonathan? Who am I going to be like this summer? Who are you going to be like this summer, like Saul or like Jonathan? 
They both faced the same difficult situation. Saul hunkered down in the pomegranate cave, just going to get through these next, this next season, this difficulty. He's got his 600 men. He's got his priest. He did nothing. Jonathan faced the exact same problem, but he did not hunker down in the pomegranate cave. He trusted God. He saw God's purposes. He saw God's promises. He saw God's power. And he stepped out in obedience. And the entire Philistine army was conquered. It's a beautiful story. Okay, now this summer, no attacking Philistines here in Abu Dhabi, okay? But we do face a couple months of heat and humidity right? We do face a time, a few months, where some of our friends are going to be gone. That's hard. Some of you are going to have family members, maybe wives, children, gone for lengthy periods of time. That's hard. Some of you are going to be in your home country, maybe with extended family. Maybe some of those relationships are difficult. Maybe you're going to have some in your extended family who you know are not interested in the Lord and just have a hard time connecting with them. That's hard. So we've got a few months coming up here this summer, and because of these, these difficulties, it's easy for us to, to lower our expectations of anything that God might do. I'm just going to hunker down. I'm just going to survive. See you in September. That can kind of be our perspective as we think about this, this summer. But I want you to be like Jonathan. More importantly, God wants you to be like Jonathan. What are God's purposes for this summer? Well, we, we know through God's word what his purposes are, to bring glory to his name, to save the lost, to sanctify you, to draw you closer to him, to use you in other people's lives, God's purposes, God's promises, God's power. So I want to challenge you to be like Jonathan, see God's purposes, God's promises, God's power, and raise your expectations of what God might do in you and through you in these next few months. So let me give you two specific concrete steps to take. Step one, understand that because you're trusting Jesus, all of God's promises are true for you. I mean, the Bible is full of God's promises. And the only reason that they're true for us is because of what Jesus did in paying for your sins and you trusting him. It's the only reason any of God's promises can be true for you, but because you're trusting Christ, they are true for you. That's why they were true for Jonathan. Jonathan was not a sinless man. He sinned like we all do, but Jonathan was trusting what would happen through the Messiah. He trusted that God's a forgiving God because of what the Messiah would do, and because he trusted what the Messiah would do, he was completely forgiven for all of his sins, and all of God's promises were true for, for him. And the same is true for you. So go into the, into the summer saying, all of God's promises are true for me because of what Jesus did on the cross and because I'm trusting him. All of God's promises are just waiting to be trusted. God's promises, like, it's like a meal laid out for you on the table. You can just sit back and say, what a nice looking meal. Or you can actually trust them and enjoy, right? So the, tr the promises are all laid out for you there. Are we going to trust them? They're true for us. So trust God's promises, then here's the second step. Trust God's promises and take bold steps of obedience. And here's a couple areas I want to mention to you. First area. Trust God's promises and take bold steps in terms of your times with the Lord this summer. And here's the promise I want you to think about. James chapter 4, verse 8. 
God promises, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's an astonishing statement. The God of the universe, who has always been from eternity past and who always will be, who is infinite in power, beautiful in his love and compassion, he promises that when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. When you draw near to him in, in prayer, in opening up the word and studying the scriptures, when you draw near to him in worship, in confessing your sins and thanking him and pouring your soul out before him, when you carve out time to draw near to the Lord, it's not just you doing some empty religious ritual. God draws near. Draw near to me, he promises, and I will draw near to you. So think of what God might do in your heart this summer as you draw near to him. Think of the outpourings of the love of God in your heart that you might experience. Think of the fresh revelations of his glory in Christ. Think of the new truths he can teach you as you study God's word. Think of some, maybe there's some stubborn sin that you're just like constantly being defeated by. Think of how God could break the power of that sin this summer or or set you free from like lukewarmness or complacency or lethargy spiritually. What might God do? Grace Church, raise your expectations of what God could do in your heart this summer as you set time to, to seek him. Now, One of the problems, and it's so ironic with vacations, right? We're on vacation, and yet we don't have time to seek the Lord because we're on vacation, right? Anybody else experience that? I mean, the most difficult times for me to be faithful in prayer and Bible study are when I'm on vacation because there are other people to see and lots of things going on. Okay, am I alone in this? No, okay, I, I didn't think so. Carve out time to be with the Lord. Maybe you need to mention to your family, I'm gonna get some time in right now with you know, praying and drawing near to God because he promises to draw near to me. I don't know, God will give you ways to figure it out, but get time with the Lord. Don't neglect that this summer. Raise your expectations for what God might do in you this summer. Oh, church, if, think about being in there in September, October, looking back and saying, Lord, what you did in my heart this summer, I have no idea you could work in those powerful ways. So raise your expectations. Another area, your relationships with difficult people. Jeremiah 32, 27, I love this promise. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh is anything too difficult for me. So again, maybe as you head back to your home country, maybe there's somebody in your extended family or some friend you have there, maybe maybe they used to be a friend and things have gotten awkward. Maybe there's some family member that you just kind of butt heads with a lot. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Raise your expectations of what he might lead you to do in initiating a conversation with that person, in sharing the gospel with that person, in just, hey, let's go have coffee together. Who knows what God might do? But raise your expectations. God wants to restore and heal and work through those relationships. He is the God of all flesh. There's nothing too difficult for him. So raise your expectations of what God might do in terms of relationships with difficult people. If you have relationships that that are difficult, don't hide in the pomegranate cave, okay? Step out in obedience. It may be that the Lord's gonna work. I'm not sure what he's gonna do. I know his power, I know his purposes, I know his promises. I'm gonna step out, see what the Lord does, and watch what he will do. Jonathan had no idea what God was going to do before he stepped out, but he stepped out 
and look at what God did. Another area, your evangelism. Here's a promise, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Oh, just ponder that. All the authority that there is in the universe is embodied in Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. And then when he says, what he says next, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That is a command given to every believer. And the one who gives that has all authority in heaven and in earth. So we pay heed to that. It's like we say, yes, sir, right? We respond to that. And not only does it mean we should respond, it means that because he has all authority, he can open the most closed heart. He can save the most hardened, uninterested person. God does not wait for us to respond to him. None of us ever would. We'd all just keep running away from him, but God in his power opens closed hearts. He takes out hearts of stone and gives hearts of flesh. He opens hearts to the gospel. God saves people and he uses our love and our words to do that. So raise your expectations. What might God do in your neighborhood this summer? Wow, what, what could take place? The Holy Spirit's upon you. You have the word of God. You have the gospel. What might God do? Amazing things happen when you have the Holy Spirit and the word of God and a stepping out in faith believer. Powerful things take place. What could happen in your neighborhood or at your workplace or with your friends who don't know the Lord? Or what could happen with maybe somebody uh, in your home country who doesn't know the Lord from your past who God may want you to share with? Or maybe there's a family member you've never shared the gospel with. Maybe this is the summer for that. God's purposes, God's power, God's promises. Let's step out in obedience, see what the Lord might do. One last area, mutual encouragement with other believers. Here's the promise. Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That applies to a lot of areas, but it applies to the area of encouraging other believers. As you encourage others, as you give, you will receive from the Lord. You'll receive from them. Encourage others. Now, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Your friends might be away. Your family members might be away. So don't, don't just while away the hours with Netflix or whatever else you tend to while away your hours with. Maybe there's somebody here in, 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 the, in the church family who who's just really needs a, a brother to come alongside him and say, hey, let's, 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 have, let's have a meal together this week and talk. Maybe there's a sister here who just be so encouraging to her if, if you came up here and said, hey, let, let's have coffee together. There's people here that we could reach out to and connect with and encourage, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. As you step out in obedience, you don't know what God's going to do, but you know he will work. You know his power and his purposes and his promises. Let me talk to you men who have family members who are gone for a major portion of the, the summer, maybe your wife and kids. That is a very vulnerable time for you to be here alone. Satan is licking his chops at what he might do in your life with you being alone. So don't be alone. I would encourage you, if you're not already part of, part of a home group, make home group part of your rhythm this summer. And let me especially encourage you, we have men's and we have women's also, what we call DNA groups. D for discipleship, N for nurture, and A for accountability. 
And so, men, if you're not in a home group or in a DNA group, um, DNA groups are under the covering or under the auspices of a, of a home group. So find whichever home group is closest to where you live. You'll get that information at the welcome table. Call up that home group leader and say, I need to be part of a men's DNA home group this summer. Can you, can you, can you link me up with one? And you'll meet weekly. You'll share God's word. You'll pray for each other. You'll hold each other accountable. I've got a bunch of guys I meet with on Saturday mornings. It is a sweet gathering. Some guys in our home group are in a DNA. So men and women, I would encourage you to do that this summer. Don't head into the summer knowing you're going to be alone and leaving yourself vulnerable. Get some brothers around you to encourage and care for you. So let me close with this. Just again, think of what God did when Jonathan stepped out in, in faith and obedience. Jonathan didn't let what the Philistines were doing lower his expectations. Jonathan let God's purposes, promises, and power raise his expectations. So ask yourself honestly, what are your expectations for this summer? What are your expectations for what God might do in your heart this summer? Do you have any? Raise them. What are your expectations for what God might do through you this summer as you're here or through you this summer as you're back in your home country? If you don't have many expectations, raise them. See God's promises, God's power, and God's purposes and raise them. See what God can do. Ask him, what would you have me do? He will guide you. He will lead you. And then step out in obedience. You won't be sure. It may be that God's going to work on our behalf. We aren't sure what God's going to do, but step out in obedience. And I promise you, because God promises you, you will see his power in beautiful ways that you would not have seen had you not stepped out. See God's purposes, see God's promises, see God's power, raise your expectations, and step out in obedience. You'll see God work. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you'd be quickening by the power of your spirit, quickening us right now here in this room with what are you, what are you calling us to do this summer? What fresh steps of obedience do you want us to take this summer? What are ways you want us to raise our expectations of what you can do this summer in us and through us? So God, I pray that you would touch our hearts right now, bring to mind, stir in our hearts what you are calling us to do and then give us the faith to step out even if we're not sure what you're going to do but we know we are in sync with your purposes and your promises and your power. God, I pray for anyone here who's not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord and as treasure. And I pray, Lord God, that this beautiful news of the Messiah and how you worked through Jonathan would grip their hearts and that they would come and put their trust in Jesus today. So, Lord, we want to come and just surrender before you now. Say, Lord, lead us, call us. We want to raise our expectations. We want to do your will this summer. We surrender our lives to you. Come and work. In Jesus' name, amen.